Ephesians is a little book that can get lost in the uh, mass there at the end. And after the Gospels, you find Acts and then Romans. There's a couple of Corinthians. You find Galatians. Ephesians comes after that. And we have been in a series through this uh, letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the Christians in the city of Ephesus. And tonight we come to a passage that, uh, as we'll see in a moment, is very appropriate, having just a witness covenant baptism tonight. And tonight our passage is Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 24. Hear now the holy and inspired word of the Lord. So this I tell you and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Almighty God, we pray now that you would enlighten the eyes of our hearts that we may see wonderful things in your word. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, to whom with you and the Holy Spirit be all honor and glory. Amen. In Scripture, life is envisioned as a pathway. And your way of life is a walk. So you walk on a pathway, that means you are living your life. Life is envisioned as a pathway. And generally speaking, in our lives, in our walks, we want those walks to be accompanied by the newest and best. It is much more exciting to be walking through this life with uh, the most upgraded television or smartphone or whatever gadget. Um, who among us wants an older car that is falling, falling apart when we could have that uh, new car smell right off the lot and have some kind of confidence that it won't break down? And then there, there are those among us who, on the outside, we like old things. Maybe you're into antiquing, old houses and so forth, but... You really think about it, you just like the novelty of it. It's really just about wanting something new. Got to have something new in your house. We're, we're all about new things, new experiences, new possessions, new you. Uh, advertisers know this. Uh, even a uh, new whisk to whisk your eggs can lead to a new you in our day and age. The Christian faith speaks directly to this desire, that we want new things, we want newness, and whatever your posture toward the Lord and his church is today, you, like everyone, must recognize that something's not right in this world. Things get old, things fall apart, things die, people die. In many ways, um, and for most of us, life seems to actually get harder the older that we get, not easier. There's something that seems to be wrong with that. 
we have that innate desire in our hearts for something to be new and not to break down. That's not the way that life goes. That's not the trajectory. That's not the pathway that we find ourselves walking on. Uh, we don't just need new things. We need new life. And we need a new way of walking that pathway of life. And that is exactly what God himself provides. The message of this passage here in Ephesians 4 is that Jesus himself gives this new life to those who will receive it by faith. Jesus gives new life. And because he has done this, we have the power now to walk in that newness. New life, new pathway. Means you can walk in this new life. Uh, with your Bibles open there, look with me at verses 22 and 24. Uh, 22 through 24. Paul says, You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self. Your old self which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self uh, or the new person or the new man. depends on what uh, English translation you may be using. The new you. That's the fundamental contrast in this passage between an old self and a new self. And what Christ promises to those who trust in him is a new way of life because he brings about the new man or the new woman within you. A new existence altogether. What is important about this transformation? That's what we're going to look at this evening. First, let's look at this old self. Paul here begins by comparing that old self, that old person, not old in age, we see a former self, an old self, He's comparing it to walking like a Gentile there in verse 17. You must not walk as the Gentiles do. Now we know from chapter 2 that uh, all who call on the name of the Lord are saved, whether Jew or Gentile. You know, a Gentile is just a non-Jewish person. And Paul has argued in chapter 2 of this letter that there is no distinction in the church of Jesus Christ between those who are Jews and those who are not Jews. So he's using this word Gentile here not to refer to an ethnicity in any sense or non-Jews, but to refer to a spiritual Gentile, meaning those who do not believe. Those who are alienated from God, he says in, in this passage. In verse 17, some English Bibles correctly translate this to say, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. There's that language just talking about a way of life. You're walking. Um, and Paul is saying that there is a way of life that is associated with unbelief. If your life is marked by unbelief, then that's what your pathway looks like. There's a certain way of living that is associated with not believing in Christ. And that is the old self, Paul says. What does that walk look like? What's that way of life look like? It's not a pretty picture. First he says that the effect of sin and unbelief is on your mind. Look with me at verses 17 and 18. He says, uh, I, I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer uh, walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. 
They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Paul uses these terms, uh, thinking and understanding, to describe the life of the mind. He's talking about the mind. This is where our thoughts and our intellect live. What little intellect we may have, that's where it is, is in the mind. And Paul says that this mind is futile in verse 17. This is the same word that gets translated in the book of Ecclesiastes as vanity. If you're familiar with that book, uh, that word shows up 30 or 40 some odd times. Vanity of vanities. All life is vanity, uh, the preacher in Ecclesiastes says. And what he means is everything seems to be a dead end. Solomon in Ecclesiastes is looking for uh, the most amount of money, uh, the most amount of fun and hedonism and pleasure. And at the end of that pathway, he, he reaches a dead end every time. Vanity, futility. And Paul says that in the, in the old self, we are stuck there. We're at a dead end. Uh, verse 18, the mind, Paul says, is also darkened. It's not just futile, but it's darkened. Uh, we read in Psalm 82 uh, a depiction of kings. God gives authority to these kings in Psalm 82 to judge with real justice and righteousness upon the earth. And to, to look upon a case, look at the evidence, and then make a just, a just call on that case. And uh, the Lord in that psalm laments because the kings that he had entrusted, entrusted with this justice are walking in darkness. And so the evidence is put before them and they can't see it. They can't judge it, and they can't make a right judgment at all. Uh, they're actually prone to wickedness. They're in the dark. And Paul says that the old self has a heart that is like that. Walking in darkness. We are in the darkness of our sins and misery. Futile and darkened. That's the mind of the old self, which walks like a Gentile in unbelief. Secondly, there's the effect of sin and unbelief, not only on your mind, but on your heart. Verse 18, Paul refers to the hardening of their hearts. The hardening of their hearts. Think of the way that we speak about romantic love in our day and age. We talk a lot about falling out of love. The feelings just aren't there anymore, we say. We become unfeeling and hardened. But Paul here is talking about that lack of feeling, that falling out of love, so to speak, toward God. And our hearts are like rock and stone. And they do not respond to God's calls and to God's compassion. The heart of the old self is hardened toward the Lord and toward others. Think of the great commandment. Jesus says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. In other words, with all yourself. And Paul is convincing us here that your whole self that you're supposed to offer to God is in darkness. And so you cannot offer it to the Lord. He says it as plain as day. Your mind and your heart is in darkness and in hardness. It doesn't respond to God. So Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You love your neighbor as yourself. That's what your life ought to look like. But we can't. 
We walk in darkness like the kings of Psalm 82. It seems simple enough. We hear this a lot. Uh, We just need to love. But if you actually take a look at your heart and mind with a magnifying glass and sit with it and examine your intentions and what you're really trying to get out of any interaction, we're always trying to save face. We're always trying to uh, bolster our own reputations and look out for our own interests instead of the interests of others. We are stuck. All of our faculties are supposed to be oriented toward God, but they're in darkness. What's the result of that inner self, your mind and your heart? What's the result of such a bad condition? Paul says three things in particular. These are all found in verse 19. Insensitivity. And this doesn't mean that it's like you don't have any tact and you're insensitive to people's feelings. Not like that. It's actually worse than that. Uh, In terms of you're not sensitive to what is actually acceptable and holy. Toward the Lord or in society or you do insensitivity in that sense. We don't understand that there are certain uh, ways of conducting ourselves that ought to uh, govern us. Not sensitive to it. Another result is sensuality. Which means we feel like we have a license to do whatever we want. Verse 19 again. Another result is insatiability. We always want more. Greedily gaining more or lusting after more. Again, depending on your translation. Which means that the old self is never satisfied. And I think that you will recognize that this really is true. Even those of us who profess faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we still recognize. I always want more, never satisfied. That is the characterization of the old self, according to Paul. It is never content, never satisfied. Now, uh, we have to admit that these descriptions are extremely unflattering. This is not good news. And I am calling upon you tonight, as God's word is calling upon you tonight, not to ignore this, simply because it's a hard teaching. We do not like to hear this about our hearts and our minds, that we may be stuck in the old self. This teaching actually very well may strike you as inaccurate. You may be thinking, I don't know anyone who actually acts like this. Now, who is actually out there and is just like insensitive to anything and they'll do anything in broad daylight and, and uh, they don't care about... Th- this must only be referring to the worst among us, serial killers and terrorists. What we have to recognize here is the point of view. The point of view that Paul is giving us is the point of view of the day of the Lord. I ask you, brothers and sisters, what will be stripped away On the day of judgment. When we do not have anything to hide behind anymore. We do not have our niceties and our our, uh, outwardly good conduct. Not on the day of judgment anymore. It will all be taken away. All be stripped away. All of our efforts to show the world that we are nice enough. All of our efforts to show God. That we ought to come into his kingdom because we're really not all that bad. No, even we will not be convinced of that anymore on the day of judgment. 
That's the point of view that Paul is giving here. When all of our intentions and all of our wicked desires are suddenly exposed. And so we very, very uh, may well not know anybody who seems to always act like this. Uh, we are all friends with those who do not profess faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And they are good friends. They're very nice people. We love them and their families. We love to be in their homes. And that's as it ought to be. We should be. We should not to sever relationships because people do not call on Christ. But because we love people and, and we have these relationships, this kind of teaching can strike us as wrong-headed. Loved ones in Christ, it is the truth. It is the truth. Um, this is why sin is so deceitful. Because sin in our hearts tells us, you're not that bad. Don't worry about it. You're going to be fine. You do enough good things. But the question is always, how good is good enough? And whose measure are you using? And why does it get to be your measure and not someone else's? Shall not the judge of all the earth be the one whose measure decides? And God says, there must be a total transformation that takes place. If we remain in the old self, our minds and hearts are ruined before God, and we need Him to step in. We need Him to change us and to transform us. And that is the good news that we see here when we turn to the new self. The decisive thing that we need to know is Christ. That's what verse 20 says. As Paul is saying, you should not walk like the Gentiles anymore because this is what they're like and this is what you were like at one point. Now he says in verse 20, you, however, did not come to know Christ in that way. It is about knowing Christ, the tenderness of his love, the cleansing power of his blood, his righteousness given to us as a free gift of grace. Those who are walking in the new self are only doing so because they know Christ. Uh, what is this knowledge? What, what does it mean to know Christ? This knowledge is that whatever our deepest problems are in life, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ is not without, a, without reach. He, he is always able to reach us. No matter the deepest problems of life. And our deepest problem in life is not on the outside. It is sin on the inside. And that is precisely where Christ can reach. And Christ alone can reach. Ephesians chapter 2 says that our state before the Lord was that we were dead in trespasses and sins. Dead. And that's exactly... Why Jesus alone can help. Because you see, Jesus is something of an expert about deadness and rising to life. He knows what it means to rise from the dead. And he knows what it costs. For you, for you, this transformation from the old self to the new, from death to life, required the death of the Son of God. And nothing less. In your place, for your sins, to crucify this old self that we've learned so much about. 
Ephesians 2 goes on to say that faith is what connects us to this Jesus who raises the dead. His saving work is applied to us when we rest in his finished work on the cross. And we give up our program of trying to impress the Lord with our acts. We have to recognize that before God, there is no hiding the darkness of our hearts. There is no hiding the hardness that remains there. Instead, we are called not to work harder and harder until finally we may or may not be saved on the last day. The calling is to rest in Christ. He raises us to new life. He transforms us. And by his spirit alone, Jesus makes you new. The only newness that you actually need in life. It comes from him. Verse 24, at the end of our section here, Paul refers to this transformation by using the terms that look back to Genesis 1 in creation. Uh, he says there in verse 24 that we are to put on the new self created to be like God or created in the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Brothers and sisters, this is how we were created in the beginning. Our first parents, Adam and Eve, were created with this righteousness and holiness. They were upright before the Lord. And sin has wrecked it all. And we have been wrecked in Adam's sin. It has been passed down to us. You see, this is why Jesus says, you must be born again. You were born once in Adam, and your heart is dead in Adam. You must be born again. It is not enough to just try new efforts to, to, to put a new program in front of you. Uh, you must be transformed from the inside out, born again by the Spirit of God. And Paul says here in verse 24 that what happens when this new self comes, this transformation comes, it is no less magnificent a work than what God said when he said, let there be light and created all the world. Now, what comes from this transformation? Verse 22, what comes from it is the power to put off the old self, taking it off like a garment, completely soiled, and not throwing it in the wash, but burning it. <laughs> it's the old self. It is to be crucified in Jesus Christ. He also gives us the power, verse 23, to be renewed in the spirit of our minds. We just saw in earlier verses that our minds are dark, we prayed earlier tonight, Father, our minds are dark and are assailed by doubts. And Christ gives us the power by his spirit to be renewed in our minds so that our minds are filled with light. Verse 24, he gives us the power to put on the new self. Created in Christ Jesus in true righteousness and holiness. It is important that Paul uses this language of a new self and an old self. The old man and the new man. Uh, who's he talking about there? The old man is Adam. And Adam must be put to death because Adam sinned. And that is the sin that continues to haunt us to this very day. This very day. The new man is Jesus Christ. Whom Paul calls the last Adam. For where Adam failed in the garden and brought sin, Christ has succeeded and obtained for us, for you, brothers and sisters, an eternal righteousness. 
You cannot earn it. Christ has earned it for your sakes. So that as Christ is holy, you become holy. That's why Paul says you must walk in this holiness and righteousness. As Christ is righteous, you begin to walk in righteousness. As he is love, you begin to walk in love. Brothers and sisters, we all want new things. But what we need is a new self. You need a new you. And only Jesus provides it. And today we have had the privilege of seeing this transformation from the old to the new signified for us in the sacrament of baptism. The washing away and the cleansing of that old self, drowning it in the waters of judgment. It's gone for those who believe on Christ. And what emerges is a new and cleansed self, the dying away of the old self and the rising to life of the new May you hear this gospel proclamation, both in the preaching today, but also in baptism. May you hear it loud and clear, and do not harden your hearts to it. Respond with faith, and put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that though we walk in the darkness of our sins, and that before you intervened, we were dead in our trespasses, you nevertheless have shined the light of the glory of Jesus into our hearts, enlightened the eyes of our hearts, illuminated our darkened minds, and given us a new self in Christ Jesus. We pray, Heavenly Father, that we would respond to this call today to walk in sanctification and in holiness, and to continually, with the Spirit's help, to put off the old person and to put on the new which has been made alive in Jesus Christ. We ask and pray all these things for Jesus' sake. Amen.